You're listening to The Deadly Dose, hosted by Harini Bott and Megan Gesner. Welcome back. Welcome back, boys and pals, to another episode. We are here. I'm on the other side of the world still, but we are still doing the damn thing. Hi, Megan. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing well. No ocean can separate us. That's our true. Love. Megan, I was going to ask you. Uh, well, first of all, we, we just spent like an hour catching up before this, so mm-hmm. n- there's nothing new to talk about between the two of us. But mm-hmm. I was going to ask you like – what is your favorite snack to make? My favorite snack. I, I'm Ooh. like running out of things to eat here because I'm here all day. And sometimes I just – I don't want a whole meal. I just want to yeah. have a snick snack. So Snicky snack. Well, what's what? your definition of snack? Like uh, is – in terms of size, would snack be like a piece of toast with something on top? Would it be like sure. an oatmeal bowl? Like cereal like, is like cereal a snack like what no 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 i'm thinking no. like hors d'oeuvres like something that you make like cheese and crackers uh, like that kind oh, of okay, snack okay. oh okay <laughs> <laughs> let me think about this something that would be i do love a good chip and dip moment like you like chips chip and, and salsa chips mm. and guac it's always like a nice go-to do you um, have a go-to dip that you make or a salsa i i don't um mm-hmm. I know how to make a really good spicy mango salsa Ooh. or even a spicy pineapple salsa. Yeah. But honestly, somet- when I'm craving a snack, I want quick and fast. So I just yes. buy that yes. shit. Yeah. yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. I'm trying all these like Malaysian chips, like because all of them Ooh. have like different flavors and things like that. Yeah. And it's almost going to be durian season yes. here. Yes. So have you had durian, Megan? I have. Mm-hmm. I and I Don't do, I do I like have. it. Yeah. yeah, I is the smell really that bad? Um, I think so. I mean, I think it depends. Um, I don't mind the smell because I'm used to it. But I think like yeah. if you're in an open air market, it's not so bad because the fumes go into the air. But I'm sure <laughs> if it is like in a hotel and it's very fresh, um, yeah, you could probably really smell it. And that's stinky. So. I think yeah. that all the hotels here have like a sign on the mm-hmm. door that says it has a durian no and it has like no. Yeah. <laughs> it just has like an yeah, yeah, X yeah. going through it because like, they don't yeah. want that. They don't want that in no, there. No. It is It is like, yeah, it's pretty smelly. Like it, it the is, fumes yeah. definitely travel. Um, so yeah. I was going to say, speaking of fumes, I'm not even trying to segue. I just was thinking about this. Um, the freaking Ohio derailment. Have you been following that? No, not at all. I oh my, my news ticker is notifications is, has been turned off. I've okay. been very very behind. Okay, well, that that is kind of hilarious because your none other than your sister was the one that tuned me into the, the Ohio oh, derailment really? story. Yeah. Oh snap! Manira yeah. didn't tell me shit. Come on, Manira. <laughs> <laughs> well, she like put it oh. in as like a story that I should do, and I was Ooh. like, oh, like what's going on? Because like you, I feel like you and I are just like not tuned into the news as much as we yeah. maybe should be, but whatever. So I looked into yeah. the Ohio derailment, and long story long, there was a train. First of all, I didn't know that there was a town called West Palestine in Ohio, but it oh, went through West East Palestine. Palestine. Sorry, I'm sorry, East, oh, sorry, East yeah, Palestine. East Palestine. Yeah. East Palestine in Ohio. Yeah, very interesting. <laughs> yeah. It derails. And essentially, this train was carrying a bunch of hazardous material, like basically toxic chemicals. And mm. it to avoid like a big fiery explosion, which, which would have sent shrapnel like a mile long mm-hmm. radius, mm-hmm. They the EPA ordered an intentional burning of the toxic chemicals to avoid oh. that. But that means, like, obviously, it's going to the air. So if you see the photos, yeah. like, it's just like a massive, massive plume. And if you go on Reddit, there is a person who was flying over at the time, and it just looks oh, like doomsday. Doomsday. It's crazy. But what? people are like, dude, 
they were it had to be evacuated. It's been two weeks now. And they're like, is the water safe to drink? Because the water smells foul. Uh, oh, they, my God. It's like this whole thing. Like, Because a lot of people that live there are living on farmland. Like, it's very open uh, land. Yeah. So a lot of them have cattle or other farm animals. So mm-hmm. they're like, we rely on well water. And mm-hmm. that – like, we don't even – that's groundwater. Like, we don't know if it's seeped into the ground. Is this safe to drink? It's like right. a whole – it's a whole damn thing. But – very yeah this podcast <laughs> Ooh, we should definitely do an episode on that because yeah um my first thought is whoever made this uh decision in the epa yeah I, you know f- fingers crossed looked at every single possibility and they were like this is the best possible outcome like the least harmful outcome for us to burn this yeah, that yeah. being said i'm like when you burn stuff and seeing the images, I'm like, that. Th- that's just going to be recycled back into the ground. Their trees are going to absorb whatever comes down from the sky. So, like, what's the level of harm there? It's not contained, that's for sure. Oh, heck no. Because, you know, we're fresh of, fresh off of Yokaichi uh, asthma. <laughs> yeah. And I'm yeah. seeing this big plume in this photos. And I'm like, oh, we, it's just going everywhere. We don't it's know where it's going to land. Yeah, and and people I was reading some of the news stories yesterday and some of mm-hmm. the residents were saying like uh they have had like like eye irritations, like things like mm-hmm. that. They're like their eyes are irritating and that their stool had blood in them for 2 days. Like they don't know what the long-term effects are. And like the main Oh my god. The main toxic chemical that the train was carrying is called vinyl chloride and it's mm-hmm. like uh, cumulative or extreme exposure to that can cause liver cancer. And on top of that, which I feel like I'm already doing the story on it, but I'm just saying like, there's just the whole thing. The reason why this became like a bigger situation is because it it appears that pieces of information was being withheld from the residents. Mm. So they Mm. said that there was, it was just vinyl chloride, but in fact it was actually like a whole host of toxic chemicals that this train was carrying. And the train was not required to notify the state officials of what they were carrying because it wasn't considered a category high enough of like Mm. a high danger category. So the train Mm -hmm. was able to just move through and there was some things on Reddit, which is like, it's Reddit. So take it with a grain of salt. Yeah. But they said yeah. the bigger question is like, why did this train even derail in the first place? Mm. Like, what the heck happened? Right. Uh, there. Yeah. So there is some video footage of just like, you know, security or I don't know, in the area that saw like mm-hmm. one of the wheels had basically just broken off from the tension or whatever. Oh, my God. And potentially because that train those wheels are from the Civil War. Like, it hasn't been replaced oh. <laughs> since the Civil War. Like, again, that's a Reddit uh, comment thread, yeah, so yeah, I don't yeah, know yeah. the fact of the matter. If you want to know more, though, uh, John Stewart has mm-hmm. a great podcast episode on this, which we have talked about before. Megan's a big fan. So, yeah. Um, get all your Shit, news sources yeah. from there. Yeah. I'm, Craziness. Okay, we'll definitely talk about that. Um, yeah, as you're saying that, I went back to my comment on, you know, I want to be fair. I know how bureaucracy <laughs> works. Like, I'm sure they tried to look at the best possible outcome. And then it's like, in my brain, the scale is just like tipping, tipping of like that TikTok audio of, um, if you don't think the government would do this, <laughs> oh, yes, they would. Like, you yes. know what I mean? Like that, it's like going back and forth between those two oh, feelings. Oh, totally. I mean, they already, like the residents are very confused because they see like these slurry of workers coming to the railroad track, railroad tracks. And mm-hmm. essentially all these workers are uh, scrambling to rebuild the tracks mm-hmm. to the railroad. And they mm-hmm. don't, it's like, why are we putting so much effort and focus into rebuilding the railroad tracks when we don't even know if we can drink our water or even come back to our houses? Like yeah. what's the priority here? Right. So yeah. she's like, it, the residents feel like it appears the government wants to get the trains back and running again because that's like trade commerce like business whatever mm-hmm. rather than like dealing with like the humans the human lives but yeah mm. we can look more into it and potentially do a story on this and see where it goes definitely wow good luck to the folks in east palestine yeah that is crazy it's really i don't scary. know what i would do if we were in that position like, I mean, there's no that, way I'm equipped to deal with any of that no. in California. No, so. like, if people are moving, like, people have lived there for years, they're, they're literally like, I can't live here anymore because 
this town is like going to be a ghost town, ghost town because we don't know what the long-term effects are. Like I can't live yeah. here. I can't bring up my kids here. So people yeah. are really moving away to other places. Like I would That's do crazy. that. If that yeah. happened in San Diego or something, like I wouldn't want my parents living there. Be like, you're, you're moving. I don't care. Yeah. I would evacuate. For yeah. Sure. Not everybody has that luxury, but exactly. Yeah. yeah. rough. It's tough, tough. Shoot. All right. I don't know if that has anything to do with your story, <laughs> but um, for transition. No, not much. There okay. might be some tie-in, but no, no, no. <laughs> all, all right, right, all right. Let's do it then. Well, today <clears throat> we're going to talk about The Last of Us. It's high time ah! we bring this into the conversation. Love it. I was originally going to just do an episode on some of the deadliest mushrooms in the world, just for oh, funsies, because so like, I don't think we've done that. We haven't talked about no. death caps or like highly toxic mushrooms Mm -mm. but then i got a really nice text from arizona you know putting this idea forward of like hey you know i think a cool thing for you guys to talk about is the conversation about how fungal infections are becoming resistant to antifungals and Mm, um yeah how like the climate temperature warming up is causing the rise in fungal infections to be more resistant in yeah. higher temperatures mm-hmm. and all that. And that conversation has stemmed from The Last of Us. Since The Last of Us has premiered, yeah. you see mm-hmm. those um, people talking about that type of stuff online because it's stuff that is real. But yeah. what I wanted to do is like, what is fact and what is fiction? Love um, it. Because we we love a good survival <laughs> post-apocalyptic show that has some of its inspiration based on real things, but that can Mm -hmm. easily get muddled and get people sensationalized to think like, oh, this crazy stuff is happening in real life. Or I'm like, well, it's not, it's not that severe in the real world. So that's what we're going to do today. Love it. So exciting. Right. Don't let my disco mushroom hear you. (laughs) (laughs) This is the only one that's safe. (laughs) I know the disco mushroom. Um, Okay. So The Last of Us on HBO Max is arguably television's biggest show right now. And I say that, I know some people be like, oh, I'm not into it, whatever. But I would say it's television's biggest show because, well, one, it has characters from other previously successful HBO shows such as Game of Thrones. And also, I we're, we don't, I don't think there's any other shows right now that have this kind of action adventure element plus big production value. Plus, based off of a beloved video game that a yeah. lot of people have played. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I think the other show that comes to mind that was very popular as of late was White Lotus. But that's like a mm-hmm. totally different category. I think totally. Last of Us speaks to a broader audience. Yeah. Because people love like action survival shows. They love it. Yeah. So for those of you who are unfamiliar, it is, as I mentioned, a post-apocalyptic drama based off of the highly successful video game series of the same name, which was created by Naughty Dog, which is the same de- video game developer of the Uncharted series Woo-hoo! and Crash Bandicoot. So love it. If you know video games a little bit, you would know those two because they're also very popular video games. Iconic. Um, <laughs> iconic. Truly iconic. And there was an Uncharted movie, which totally fucking sucked. And <laughs> watching, the la- <laughs> watching The Last of Us made me honestly angry like at least when the first episode aired because it was literally almost scene by scene the same in the video game and i was like they could have done that with uncharted and they decided to just shit all over uncharted anyway so the last of us it stars pedro pascal he's so hot right now he's all over tiktok as the my favorites comments say we cannot escape this man (laughs) Because he is everywhere. He is. Um, starts, yeah, Pedro Pascal and Bella Ramsey as the so main cool. characters, Joel and Ellie, who are survivors of a pandemic that led to the downfall of society. Joel <laughs> is a hardened middle-aged man who witnessed the world go to shit and lost his family in the process. And Ellie a fear, is a fearless teenage girl who was born after the events of the initial outbreak. Mm. And they partner up and go on this journey together. Some would argue that the story has its place under the zombie survival genre, but so far I feel like that applies much more to the video game rather than the show. I feel like the show has really formatted itself to focus on like intimate side stories of what it would be like to live in a post-apocalyptic world where zombies are simply a byproduct. That's my assessment of the show versus the game. I feel like the show, have you watched at all? I haven't really? watched. No. Oh, I now okay. <laughs> yeah, I want to. The the show 
I do really like it. I think it stands well side by side next to the game, but mm-hmm. I do, the zombies are definitely are not like a huge feature in the show. Interesting. They're, they're, okay. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. good because the only reason I haven't started to watch The Last of Us is because the game The Last of Us scared the Everly yeah. Everly shit Co- out of me. Like it was so scary. <laughs> Absolutely. For me. Like, the the game is is much more horror horror it driven is. and yeah. the zombies are like you have to face them. They are in I, I know <laughs> almost every chapter of the game. Yeah. Whereas in the show it's like I said like they're almost like a byproduct of what happens when civilization downfalls and this pandemic comes around so okay. that's what's yeah. interesting yeah real quick real quick i heard i don't know if you're caught up are you caught up i am caught up okay i've watched it all <laughs> i have heard that episode three was exceptionally phenomenal uh just exquisite exquisite okay. writing but that's that's a great example of this whole episode was like a side story interesting yeah. Is it still but, part uh, of the video game story or is it like, are they kind of diverting? It's definitely a departure from the video game. Okay. It involves characters who are part of the video game, but come, yeah, completely different change of how those characters interact. I see. So, okay. Yeah. But, cool. um, yeah, episode three, I had watched it twice, once by myself and then once again with Phil. Uh-huh. And I, cried both times oh gosh (laughs) it's very well done just really good writing it's definitely a slow burn like the whole series so far is a slow burn and i like that i love a slow burn so love it okay continue all right all right all right so what makes the last of us stand out within the zombie apocalypse genre is that the cause of infection is a fungus rather than a Mm. virus Oftentimes in entertainment, we see zombie outbreaks happen through viral infections. Mm -hmm. This is a fungus. In this case, the fungus is known as the genus Cordyceps, which is a real-life fungus Mm -hmm. known for, in in pop culture, this fungus is known for infecting insects, specifically the Ophiocordyceps unilateral, which is known for zombifying ants. Mm -hmm. And so that is where... The developers at Naughty Dog got their inspiration for the game, and they use that same genus of fungus. They mention it in the show as well. Yeah. Okay, so since its premiere, there has been a resurgence in the general interest around fungi mycelium, which is the network in which certain fungi communicate and transport water and nutrients, spores, and fungal infections. One notable part of the zeitgeist right now is how fungus are adapting to warmer the warmer global climate and how um, they are becoming immune to antifungals. Mm-hmm. With all the intrigue and speculation that has sporulated from The Last of Us, <laughs> I wanted to unearth, but I'm again, <laughs> what is fact and what is fodder? Is there a real threat of advanced fungal infection? And should we be concerned about fungus taking over society? Yes. So <laughs> what do you think, Karini? Is it yes? Is it a no? I, I'm already being taken over by the fungal brain. <laughs> you know how I hopped on this today uh, today, and I was like, oh, man, this I'm looking rough or whatever. Uh, this whole time, I was like, if I'm going to be talking about fungus, I better look like a fungus. <laughs> I got then no I just need to put bottles. glitter on my face. I'm just going to have to <laughs> exactly. put my disco ball glitter on my exactly. face. Exactly. Love it. All right. So let's start with the facts. Fact. Cordyceps are real. They are known for being endoparasitoids, meaning that they live as a parasite within a host to the host's detriment. That's kind of redundant because we know what a parasite means. But yeah. it means that they occupy a host, the inside of a host, And they might feed off the host for a long time until the host dies. Yeah. Cordyceps typically infect insects and other fungi. Fungus that invade insects are are called entomopathogenic fungus. So when you when the fungus specifically, you know, uh, parasitizes insects, they're called entomopathogenic. Yeah. (laughs) Fun words. A lot of good words. (laughs) Yeah. And, it, and I mentioned an example of this type of cordyceps. It's the Ophiocordyceps unilateral. Here's an excerpt from The Atlantic from a 2017 article written by Ed Young, which describes this particular cordyceps. And I will be doing a lot of reading from articles because I did not <laughs> want to paraphrase. No, yeah, please. Yeah. When the fungus infects a carpenter ant, 
It grows through the insect's body, draining it of nutrients and hijacking its mind. Over the course of a week, it compels the ant to leave the safety of its nest and ascend a nearby plant stem. It stops the ant at a height of 25 centimeters, a zone with precisely the right temperature and humidity for the fungus to grow. It forces the ant to permanently lock its mandibles around a leaf. <laughs> Eventually, <laughs> I just picture this poor ant being like, oh my God. I know. It's like they know, know what's coming. They're like, I can't I stop it. <laughs> my, my mandibles will close. Okay. My mandibles. <laughs> That's what they're called. Yeah, they, yeah. Are, they are. They are. That's your jaw. Yeah. 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 Eventually, it sends a long stalk through the ant's head. And if you look up, if you just look up cordyceps and image search, you will see a lot of images of caterpillars or, you know, insects with this like stalk branching from its mm-hmm. neck or its head, like an antenna. But that's the <laughs> fungus. Um, and so, okay. So the long stalk through the ant's head growing into a bulbous capsule full of spores. And because the ant typically climbs a leaf that overhangs its own colony's foraging trails, Mm -hmm. the fungal spores rain down onto the colony below, zombifying them in turn. Like, how magnificently crazy is that? Like, it just works so much to its advantage. So smart. Yeah. When the fungus first enters its host, it exists as single cells that float through the ant's bloodstreams, budding off new copies of themselves. But at some point, these single cells start working together. They connect to each other by building short tubes. Hooked up in this way, they can communicate and exchange nutrients within the ant's body. Individual microscopic cells begin life alone, but eventually come to cooperate, fusing into a superorganism. (laughs) <laughs> Together, these brain <laughs> these brainless cells can commandeer the brain of a much larger creature. Dude. Very, very cool. And yeah. like, like, what great inspiration for a horror zombie oh infection gosh. game slash show? Like, really, hundred really percent, dude. These yeah. fungi are the original serial killers. <laughs> <laughs> all at once mass mass (laughs) right they know how to manipulate all of that Uh, very very neat so that's fact that's all real yeah here's the fodder do cordyceps have the ability to infiltrate and parasitize humans (laughs) no (laughs) they do not great not yet (laughs) okay Just kidding. No, not even, not yet. <laughs> We're here to speak facts. First off, I know in the game or in the show, Joel does make a comment of like, you know, the cordyceps mutated and blah, 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 all this. But okay. For that to occur would take so many thousands and thousands of years of evolution for sure. this particular genus of fungus to even get to that point. But the reality is in our current t- day and age, no, they cannot parasitize humans. Our internal body temperature is way too high for cordyceps to survive, and our immune system is just so much more advanced than the insects it preys on. Humans have two substantial protections against fungi, our 37 degrees Celsius internal temperature, which is too hot for all but about 330 fungal species. I didn't look up what those 330 fungal species are. (laughs) Yeah. Um, because that does seem like a lot, but yeah. there's so many other fungal species out there that we don't have so to worry many. about. Yeah. Too hot for all but 330 fungal species to tolerate and our innate immune cells, which can kill most fungal invaders. Mm-hmm. Most mm-hmm. fungi are not serious pathogenic threats to humans. So that's the good news. That's <laughs> the good news. <laughs> Any questions? <laughs> No, but I was just going to say, I don't know if we say at the end, but I was going to mention that book. Whenever I have that mushroom book. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love the mushroom book. Yeah. So I'll shout it out here because the only reason why I was like nodding along, obviously you guys can't see this this is an Mm -hmm. audio podcast, but I was nodding Mm -hmm. along because as the parts I did read were about this. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Mm -hmm. I was so mind blown. That was the very first Mm -hmm. time I had heard of cordyceps and it is it is like the levels and layers of how accurate and precise these fungi are to know. Mm-hmm. I don't even understand how they understand the ant's life cycle and their lifestyle, like where they are and like what that means, like the temperature. Right. Like, like, I don't think people get like that's like what the yeah. it's such an advanced level of just calculations that's going on in their brain. 
right, that right. they don't it, have. With, <laughs> right. Like they're brainless, yet they're yeah. somehow it's communicating through when they connect with each other. That's the mycelium, all that. The network. Like the network. Right. Yeah, the mycelium <laughs> network. The yeah. Network. It's crazy. <laughs> That's what they call it. But if you guys yes. are really interested, I'll, I'll shout out the book again. It's called Entangled Life, How Fungi Make Our Worlds, Change Our Minds, and Shape Our Futures by Merlin Sheldrake. So cool. Yeah. So okay. that name is cool. The author's yeah. name is so dope. I've said so that before, cool. but so dope. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All righty. So now let's talk about how fungal infections spread. In the show version of The Last of Us, it is implied that the disease was first spread through a tainted food supply, um, such as the cordyceps getting into flour and mutating, as I mentioned before. Mm-hmm. Then there's the zombie element, which comes into play, and that seems like the infection is spread uh, is transferred through saliva, through zombie bites, or direct contact with mycelium. In the show, this is different from the game, but they decided to actually avoid doing spores altogether, and they mostly focused on creating mycelium, like focusing on the the network. Mm-hmm. And there's this is a slight spoiler, but if you've played the game, you know what's to come with the character Tess. In the show, there's transfer of mycelium via like mouth and so this is what i like to call in the show tess tess's kiss of death and that was Mm -hmm. definitely different from the game but it kind of they do make a point of showing that the mycelium can like move like moves almost like a obviously fungus is living but it it moves like it's a creature and then it like enters enters her mouth and i'm like that's implying that it's trying to like enter her system and like Mm -hmm. control her there or whatever Mm -hmm. so those are the ways that infection spreads in the show in the game, the disease is predominantly spread through spores. I think there's also okay, yeah. spread through zombie bites, but they very much make it a point like spores are like you need to protect yourself from spores. That's why mm-hmm. they're, they're where the gas masks in the game. Yeah. So here's what is real. Here's what is fact. Fungal diseases are most commonly spread through spores. That's like mm-hmm. the dominant way that fungal infections are spread. This is why like knowing this, that this is the reality of how fungal infections work. I was surprised that the showrunners decided to go the different route and not even feature spores in the shows. I felt like that was odd because I'm like, if you wanted it to be real, like, yeah, or to like make people feel even more, you know, threatened or whatever in the real world, you would go with spores, but whatever it's it's just dramatic decision. So, so (laughs) we inhale some form of spores every day. But often our immune systems are really good at making this small amount of spore intake benign. So mm-hmm. if you have a, if you're, you know, not chronically, if you're not, if your immune system is not damaged or like your healthy immune system, you'll be fine. It is when our immune systems are substantially weakened mm-hmm. that we are at risk of spores impacting our respiratory system because the lungs are where the spores usually end up and eventually they get into your bloodstream from there. Yeah. Um, people with weakened immune systems in hospital hospitals or palliative care settings are most susceptible to fungal infections. Mm-hmm. Think cancer patients, people with diabetes, those with autoimmune diseases such as lupus, people with untreated viral infections such as HIV or AIDS, people on dialysis, the list goes on. Those mm-hmm. are the folks who would be the most susceptible to a fungal infection. Here's further explanation from an article published in 2019 from the American Society for Microbiology. The incidence of fungal disease has been increasing as various medical breakthroughs have increased the susceptible population. The emergence of new therapeutic agents such as antibiotics, immunomodulatory drugs, and implantable devices may treat a given condition but are also associated with fungal infection risk. Even in healthy people, Fungal infections can be difficult to treat because antifungal drugs are challenging to develop. And like bacteria, some fungi are adept at developing resistance to current antifungal agents. Mm -hmm. Fungi are more challenging than bacteria to treat without damaging the host because eukaryotic animal cells, humans, Mm -hmm. and fungal cells share many of the same basic cell structures and machinery. This can lead to off-target drug effects that may manifest as serious side effects in patients. So mm. that itself, they 
tried to put it very simply, but to simplify it even more, (laughs) our cell structure is very similar to a fungal cell structure. When we use an antifungal or like create a medicine to target the fungus, Mm -hmm. what can happen is the threat of that antifungal medicine harming our own cells. And so that's what I mean by off-target drug effects. Like it might Mm -hmm. actually impact the fungal cell that we're trying to get rid of in our system. But at the same time, we're getting a side effect of that. And that's why antifungals are so hard to put together. According to Drew, who Mm -hmm. Arizona had reached out to to ask about this, Drew did say we have very strong antifungals on the market, but it is because of this similarity in our cell structures that it does make it hard for us to create a drug that only targets the fungus and doesn't give us a side effect. That's just like cancer drugs. Exactly. And when you're already Mm -hmm. immunocompromised, your immune system's already so weak, you don't want that added side effect. You're already at risk. Mm -hmm. It's tough. It's really tough. I was going to say, like, I remember when I was working on one of the pharmacies, I had a patient that would come in, like, she was a regular, essentially. Mm -hmm. And she liked to chat <laughs> and I would, I'd be like, I'm not doing anything. I'll talk to you. Mm-hmm. So we would, we would chit chat. She was like this a lot. She was an elderly lady came in on like a walker and she would yeah. talk to me about her sister. And every single day she would like, or every time she came in, she would give me an update on her sister and her sister was like in the hospital for like months. Uh, Cause mm. like she had like a, respiratory infection and the doctors were like poking and prodding her could not figure out what the heck was wrong with her they put on all these steroids x y and z so on and so forth Mm -hmm. and then i I think it was like two and a half months later because i was there for the whole summer it was like at the end Mm -hmm. of my like time there that she came back and told me she's like they finally figured out what the heck it was. She had a fungal ball growing in her lungs and they didn't catch it. And it it had just been growing this whole time. And, and I can't remember exactly like the pharmacology of it all, but I believe like whatever, I believe the steroids basically helped it grow or something like that. Mm, I could be mm -hmm. wrong. I'd have to double check on that, but something about what she took basically like boosted it. (laughs) boosted it oh no yeah. which is why they were she was so pissed off she's like we're gonna sue right. them like x y and z mm. and i was like oh my god if i but that yeah. was like the first time i realized it was like exposed to that knowledge that you're you can have fungus growing in your lungs yeah. and it can it can grow and really damage you yeah that is uh that's so oh that's so hard to, to know like scary and the fact that it just perpetuated it oh poor yeah thing. yeah yeah tough Before we get into the rest of the episode, if you've been enjoying our content so far, please go rate and review us wherever you might be listening from, or don't. Just keep on hanging with us. All right, on to the rest of the episode. So because it is exceedingly difficult to find a compatible molecular drug target, there are Mm -hmm. only four classes of antifungal drugs available. Those classes are called Paul... I might be butchering these. Drew, I apologize. But it's called Poly polyenes polyenes p-o-l-y-e-n-e-s that y that y and the e next to each other are throwing me off but polyenes um (laughs) an example of a polyene is amphetericin b oh um and i'm I'm gonna describe what each of these four Mm -hmm. classes do in terms of how they are supposed to impact the fungus polyenes bind to ergosterol which is a fungal membrane component however that target resembles cholesterol in mammalian cells and can lead to off-target toxic side effects. The next one is azoles. An example of that is ketoconazole. I'm putting an an accent on that. So there's azoles and ketoconazole. Yeah. And it's it's like amphotericin at the end. <laughs> I know. I was like, damn, she's making this like <laughs> put like a little Spanish, Spanish spin on that. Yeah. <laughs> Azoles and ketoconazole. Yeah, um, they they also inhibit their ergosterol synthesis through cytochrome P450, which okay. is also present in mammalian cells. Yeah, which is um, generally associated with mild to moderate gastrointestinal side effects. Though liver damage can occur yeah. in rare cases. Dude, you don't want liver damage to occur because you need your liver for a good immune system. I was just gonna say azoles are notorious for interacting with goddamn everything like there's so <laughs> many side effects there's so many side yeah. effects and it just interacts with so many other things like it, it truly does like have so many off-target effects gotcha the third is ally lemons ally lemons i have no I- idea <laughs> i i don't trust myself because i was pronouncing azoles super crazy um ally <laughs> i'll just say ally lemons Another uh, 
example is terbinafine. Terbinafine. Okay. Yeah, terbinafine. Um, it inhibits, yeah, it inhibits ergosterol synthesis via a fungi specific enzyme, squalene apoxidase, mm-hmm. that's a fungi specific enzyme, generally associated with mild to moderate gastrointestinal side effects. And the last one is encinocandins. An example is mycofungin. Target is beta glucans, unique to mm-hmm. fungal cell walls, which has fewer side effects. Yes. So those are the four classes of antifungal drugs available. <laughs> the fungus that are of particular concern to infectious disease experts today are Candida auris and Aspergillus fumigatus. Mm-hmm. This is from an article published in The Conversation in 2019, and it's going to describe what each of those fungi are. Mm-hmm. Candida are yeasts that commonly cause skin rashes, urinary tract infections, and vaginal infections. Mm-hmm. However, they are also the third leading cause of sepsis and other life-threatening infections in U.S. hospitals. Candida auris was discovered in 2009, which is that's pretty not, recent. That's very recent. Yeah. Very recent. But it was almost never encountered in a medical setting until 2015. What? When numerous infections, yeah. When numerous infections suddenly occurred on multiple continents. It is now what? one of CDC's five most quote urgent threats for two principal reasons. First, it demonstrates very high-level antifungal resistance. of strains are resistant to fluconazole, the frontline antifungal in many countries. 30% are resistant to two antifungal classes. And remember, there's only four. (laughs) There are only four antifungal classes. And between 3% and 5% to all antifungals. Another reason that the CDC is concerned about Candida auris is that it has the unique ability to spread from person to person through contact with hands and clothes of healthcare workers or contaminated medical devices. Jeez. It also persists outside of humans in healthcare environments and causes large, long-standing infectious outbreaks. Candida auris is a remarkably robust organism that can survive standard disinfection methods, high temperatures, and salt solutions that kill <laughs> other microbes. <laughs> Since the first U.S. case in 2016, Candida auris has caused more than 800 infections in 13 states. CDC and local health departments currently are working to contain numerous healthcare outbreaks. It is unclear why this fungus has arisen now, although climate and other environmental changes may have played a role. Likewise, it is unclear how widely Candida auris will expand in the U.S. or globally. Jeez. So that's the that's the first one that we're concerned about. And that is the <laughs> So when you do hear that conversation about uh, we're seeing certain fungi become resistant in higher temperatures and all that type of stuff, they're yeah. talking about they're mostly talking about Candida auris. Yeah. Okay. Dude, that is like America's most wanted. Like <laughs> what? What? All the, they just all start the popping up. That, right? All the things that funguses are n- known to not be it's the opposite it can survive in higher temperatures it spreads hand to hand survives on medical devices or just on in the environment that freaks me out that it can spread like through like clothing and i don't like that Mm -hmm. (laughs) all right on to the next all right right. next one next one aspergillus fumigatus which is a mold (laughs) found in soil and vegetation that releases spores that most people inhale daily without problems It's probably Mm -hmm. inside me right now. Who knows? (laughs) However, (laughs) people with weakened immune systems, especially cancer patients or transplant recipients, can develop lung or other organ infections that kill between 50% and 75% of infected patients. Azul antifungals are the only drugs that kill Aspergillus fumigatus without causing Mm -hmm. serious side effects. Azoles also are used widely in agriculture. Azole-resistant Astragalus fumigatus Mm. infections are most common in Europe, where they have Mm. been linked to agricultural and patient use. Although these infections, yeah, although these infections still are uncommon in the U.S., CDC has placed azole-resistant Astragalus fumigatus on its, quote, resistance watch list because azole use is so widespread in this country and vulnerable patient populations are large. Yeah. So those are the two that we're watching. Keep those in your brain. Dude, I- I'm trying to forget the information about Candida. <laughs> that scared me too much. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was going to say the the fungal ball in that patient was Aspergillus. Oh, interesting. Yeah. That's crazy. That's just a little spore making its way through the air, from the soil Dude. to the air. It, it truly just like sticks in you. Yeah. 
it's like Horton Hears a Who. <laughs> I haven't seen that movie. Oh, but have you read the book? No, <laughs> I haven't. Oh, no. I don't know why. Okay, That's read, the one the Dr. Seuss first. that skipped over me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's cute. It's a cute one. <laughs> I'm assuming it's about a spore. That, that's a, that's a puts a nice rosy lens on this whole thing. Just pretend it's a little Whoville on a spore floating through making the air. They're just making a home, yeah, in your lungs, so you can't breathe. in your lungs, in yeah. your brain. No, no, not <laughs> exactly. That is all I had. Yeah, it's great. That that is the facts. The fodder is that. Listen, no fungus is gonna take over our brain not brain it's no fungus is going to cordycep us cordycep yeah. us anytime soon we should be concerned about fungal infections and how they're becoming temperature resistant mm-hmm. in terms of that conversation about the climate changing and all that um hold on, i do have an article and while she's looking for that we should be wor- worried let me pile on we should be worried about any <laughs> ancient prehistoric fungi they're gonna come out of the permafrost right bring back the permafrost yeah that's true we don't know what's gonna come from that <sighs> surprises right the treasure trove of horror <laughs> <laughs> okay so what i want to make clear is from what i understand there's a correlation right now between rising global temperatures and the candido candida auris um outbreaks mm-hmm. but i'm I don't want to use the term that like it is fact yet, but it is something that we very strongly hypothesize like that is correlated and this is why the fungal infections are becoming mm-hmm. temperature resistant. So yeah. I'm going to read from this article, whether Candida auris is the first example of new pathogenic fungi emerging from climate change or whether its origin into the realm of human pathogenic fungi followed a different trajectory its emanation stokes worries that humanity may face new diseases from fungal adaptation to hotter climates. Mm. Thus far, the majority of human cases of Candida auris-related disease have occurred in de- debilitated individuals, such as those in intensive care units. Mm. Because their debilitated conditions impair their immunity, this group may serve as sentinels for the appearance of new fungal diseases. They're like incubators. Jeez, that's kind of scary. If anything, the direct and indirect effects of climate changes induced by an exponentially growing human population as drivers of fungal evolution should be an area of intense research in the decades to come. Mm. Widening of the geographic range of innately thermotolerant pathogenic fungi and the acquisition of virulence traits in thermotolerant non-pathogenic environmental fungi may shape the 21st century as an era of expanding fungal disease for both the fauna and flora of the planet. Dang. Even though it's kind of up in there, it's a question of is is this correlated right now the temperatures and the fungus is it correlated it's definitely something we should keep an eye on. So that's kind of like the in between the fact and fodder like it's not something we should ignore it's not complete yeah. fodder but like it's not totally proven yet yet yeah it's a it's a hypothesis at this point yeah which is totally fair i, I while you're reading that i was just thinking like jokingly i was like well we all gotta just move to antarctica or something like like get that <laughs> let's get the hell out of here no but you know what the irony is is that fungus usually survive better in colder climates colder, i don't know yeah. how cold though right it, and then it, they're then just it adapting like, with us well, at least from like the book that I was, I'm reading, uh, Fantastic Fungi, which I'm pretty sure, no, that's not even the book's name, it's Untangled Life or something. Mm-hmm. Anyways, yeah. so from the book, I was basically learning that fungi have the ability to adapt incredibly, incredibly well because they've, they've, they're like mm-hmm. one of the first living organisms on our planet. You know, like they've had mm-hmm. the benefit of like millions of years to just right. adapt to their environment, whatever. And right. mind you, we've gone through ice ages. We've gone through very like warm climate temperatures all around the globe. So they've been through it all. And mm-hmm. essentially the next thought I had after that was like, oh, go to Antarctica. But then now I'm thinking like around the time that the dinosaurs were alive, uh, the whole planet was humid. Like the whole planet was warm. Mm-hmm. There was not, there's no ice period. Mm-hmm. Even all the way North pole, there was no ice like that. It was a tropical mm-hmm. feel all around the world. So my thought was like, were, were we seeing those types of fungi and diseases then? Like, were they thriving mm-hmm. in that time period? I don't know. Like, I don't know if that research has been done. I'm sure like you would be able right. to see evidence of like, maybe you could see fossilized spores. I don't know if that's a thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, 
But I'd be curious to know, like, maybe we can learn from the past to get prepared for the future. <laughs> yeah, like, did Candida Auris exist back then, but then yeah. went underground because, yeah. like, oh, you know, the as fungi, as the mycelium, we've regulated the planet. Now it's cold again. Well, we don't have to right. really do much. And then yeah. the moment it turns hot, it's like, oh, we've adapted again. We're back. Correct. Here we are. It's just Candida dormant. Auris. Yeah. yeah, they're literally just that's a just, dormant figure. It's just mm-hmm. speculation. It's total I have speculation no facts but... to back that up, but it's fun. <laughs> it's fun to like pretend. It is. Um, <laughs> I do. I do love. I do think about. Um, if you guys have not seen Fantastic Fungi in the World Beneath Us or whatever it's called, mm-hmm. it's just a fun. I mean, I like it. I think there are some great anecdotes in there um, when it comes to like psychoactive, you know, psilocybin use and stuff like that. There's some great anecdotes there. But there is a scene they do talk about like how fungus has shaped the world from yeah from the creation of the earth and all that. And they do like this animation that shows mm-hmm. the fungus coming during the ice age and then breaking it down and then like when the dinosaurs and then it just shows the it's like a you know just like a time lapse like a fake yeah. time lapse and that well one i just i think that just tickles my fancy i love looking at stuff like that and then two the film always makes me chuckle because there's definitely people within the fungi world that are like super into it that i truly believe they think that the mycelium from the ice ages from the ancient ancient times are part of us today and sometimes <laughs> i catch myself thinking that of like well we're already part of the fungus so we should just yeah, let it are. let it be part of our world <laughs> i think that in, that movie has influenced how i think about fungus in ways that are probably like so silly but yeah I'm just, i don't like, think i've network. watched that yet oh it's it's like it's fun i think it is educational I think that, you know, um, there are probably some things that you got to take with a grain of salt, but it's a great introduction to mushrooms and what's the study of fungus called? (laughs) Mycology. Yeah. 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 Mycology. I think you would like it. Yeah. Okay. I I, I mean, I want to watch it. I try. I think I remember trying to ask my parents to watch it with me and they said no. Oh, it's fun. Yeah. It talks about people who are into mushroom hunting, the people who are into cultivating it. Um, Dude, they're a whole tribe out there. They're hardcore about it. They really, they go into the undergrowth for sure. Yeah, they do. What's it called? Old floor forest? Old old growth forest? That's where you find your mushies. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, mushies. mushies. (laughs) So, yeah, that is a very, I would say, simple address of what Mm -hmm. the last of us has caused us to ask recently um yeah arizona actually recommended two other podcasts if you wanted to explore this conversation further check out the fungus among us um and it's an episode on the colin (laughs) mckenroe show and then there's a radio lab one also called fungus among us (laughs) And they spell it A A M U N G U S. Should we call this episode fungus the fungus among us? Among us? <laughs> like, come on, it's <laughs> just just it's low hanging fruit at this at this rate. It is low hanging friends. Fruit. Absolutely, we'll find a better Absolutely. title for it. <laughs> it's a competition so, now. <laughs> I know. No. Um, that's it. Lovely. That's it. Very good. I yeah. I this has actually been a good introduction to me wanting to watch last of us so i think i'll mm-hmm. watch right now maybe i'll watch the first episode yeah i think you'll like it i it's i don't think it's the type of horror that would make you like if you watch game of thrones right yeah i think you can handle this yeah 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 there's no horror in game there's of thrones no, though right yes <laughs> but i i feel like in the i feel like in the last of us there's there's not that strong of horror elements mm. either. Like it feels the the first episode is very much like the game, yeah. but you don't see zombies for a, a while. Mm-hmm. And when you do see them, it's not full jump scare. It's like lowering you slowly into a hot bath. <laughs> you know they're going to be there. It's not anything spooky. Do they look the same yeah. as in the game? They do. Oh, they God, did a very good job really? with the practical. And they did they do practical effects too. Damn. There's some CGI mixed in, but the the practical effects are like chef's kiss. Wow. So good. Okay. That's that's where the mm-hmm. scariness comes in cuz those zombies looked creepy very freaky yeah the clickers are the clickers. spot on yeah okay yeah all right Clickety click <laughs> okay lovely good job megan that was really thorough i guess i'll say i'm just thankful that we 
we're just so close to like travel everywhere. It's such a blessing. Everything's like an hour flight, which is like nothing, nothing. So we got to go to Bangkok and go to uh, this restaurant that Dave and I have been wanting We've had our eye on since like 2017, actually, or 20, even 2016, since we saw him on Chef's Table. His name is Guggen. Um, he closed down his restaurant right after we watched the Chef's Table in 2017. And as soon as we found out that we were going to be going to Malaysia, I actually booked this for Valentine's Day as like something to look forward to, uh, not knowing like how it's going to be something. It's always nice to look forward to something. Yeah. And it was such a delight, such a treat. It was very intimate. Like I remember seeing him on Chef's Table and it was like uh, individual like white cloth, tablecloth type of situation. But no, we were like up in each other's faces at this dinner. <laughs> it was very, very intimate. I loved it. It was very inspiring all around. So that's my antidote. That's awesome. Yeah, I was watched all your stories. It looked really cool. <laughs> and I think I've cool. seen that episode of Chef's Table with Gagan on it. Um and I feel like what I saw in your stories stayed true to how he showed mm-hmm. himself on Chef's Table. Um, oh, yeah. I think I also really liked how it was very um, – there is like music – like modern clock music playing while they're eating. Yeah. There was, it was like a whole show essentially. It was. And I know that some people might look at that and be like, that's not elegant. That's not fine dining. But to me, I was like, I feel like this really – also honors the place where it's uh, the you know the fact that it's in bangkok like it honors Mm -hmm. the city as like a lively place where you can have the best cuisine in the world and still have fun with it like you don't need to sacrifice quality um just because like you want to add music or like you know and it's a, a a tourist area you know what i mean so i thought that was really cool like that it was still it had so much personality yeah. looking at it was a neon up. sign that says be a rebel and i'm like dude he just like embodies like i think i told i may have put this in the stories but he didn't want any of us to film this part he was like just put your goddamn phones away for one second <laughs> one second and he was like just be it's like he's like he he actually did drums i guess for a long time like he almost did went professional uh drummer and then went a different path. So, but he was like, I still like drum. I love music, as you can love tell it. from like the stories. So he was like, We're gonna, yeah. I'm gonna teach you how to do drums. And he basically, we just did like the boom, boom oh. of like, We will rock you. <laughs> okay. And then he played it, uh, and we were just like going fun. crazy with experience. I love yeah. that. That's so yeah. Bad. I'll have to go at some totally. point. Totally. Eventually, when I visit Thailand. Yeah. My antidote was I had a really cool Super Bowl Sunday. It became a night that, st- like, you know, you're in- you anticipate it to be chill, but then it just snowballed into like this fun laughs all around. You know, we're all playing cards together, music is bumping, and like a sun. I I'll admit I I left right as people started dancing, but I was like, this was such a cool Sunday night. Like it was chill, and then it just became like high energy and. I love the, yeah, the spontaneity. So that's my highlight. Yeah. Okay, Poison Pals, don't risk it for that zombifying fungal biscuits. Bye.